Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast, the very special Martin Luther King Day Jr. edition. Uh, so the the way that Matt and I are going to do this, I wouldn't necessarily say differently, but we do have two slates for tomorrow. So there's nine games and there's five on the early slate, four on the late slate. We're just going to go through all of the games, uh, but I guess just kind of take in mind that it's two different slates. I don't really know even now that I'm thinking about it why I needed why I needed to say that. We're just talking about the games as per usual and which players we like from well, the Well, I'll put a note in our show notes that says where to start listening. Uh, if you're trying to find where the second group of games starts, if you're listening in the afternoon and you only care about the second half of the games, then I guess that's relevant. But yeah, uh, we'll just talk about them all and maybe you can just figure out which games are for which slate. Yeah, so right now, I mean, we do have some key players that are questionable, but overall, there isn't really a ton of value at this point in time. Obviously, as we say all the time, that could change at any moment. We could wake up tomorrow and half the players aren't playing, because that, that's happened before. Uh, first game for us to talk about here is the Toronto Raptors at the Philadelphia 76ers. The key news from the Raptors' side of the game, Kyle Lowry is questionable to play with that back injury. If he doesn't play... Deal on right starts. There's extra playing time for Fred Van Fleet. The issue is that these guys have been way priced up now. Deal on right's at 5,800. Van Fleet's at 4,400. So even with Lowry out, I don't see a ton of value in them. There's certainly no way to play them if Lowry plays. The guy who I still do think is worth rostering is DeMar DeRozan. He has been priced up to 9,100, but it's still a usage rating of around 40% with Lowry off the floor. And we have seen some big games from him the last few nights. Uh, he scored 42 real-life fantasy points against the Warriors, finished with about 52 fantasy points. So there's still upside for him at 9,100. And then plus, this is a okay matchup against the Sixers. I think they're about league average against shooting guards. And it should be a fairly up-paced game. Both these teams played a decent pace. Uh, next, then we have the Sixers and... Still, it's a lot of fair pricing. The one guy who I think there's upside in is Robert Covington at 5,300. He has been playing really poorly recently, except if you look through, it's a little reasonable. He played the Celtics. That's a tough matchup. The Pistons, tough matchup. The Spurs, a tough matchup. And then there was some blowouts. There was a game against Portland, which is also a tough matchup, but he also left early with an injury. So 5,300, I just think, is too cheap of a price for Covington, who's pretty regularly priced like in the low to mid-6,000 range. Yeah, Covington had a stretch uh, in early to late December. It was an eight-game stretch, so it covered most of December, um, where he either was close to hitting value or did hit value in all of those games. And then he was kind of hurt. He had those bad matchups, like you said. There were a couple blowouts. Um, he just had a couple bad games. I think people are definitely going to be off of him now, um, and especially after the really bad performance against the Celtics, where only had nine fantasy points. So I, I think Covington is the most usable player in this game overall. Uh, unless Lowry's out, then it's probably DeRozan, but Covington also would be usable. I don't, I don't really like anyone else from either team. For uh, Van Vliet and Wright, even if Lowry's out, like you said, those guys are priced up. And I think they're actually even priced up too much where they're not even fair plays. I think they're overpriced plays even without Lowry there. So I don't like either of them. Wouldn't use Lowry if he's there, and it could be a potential minutes restriction. So just a Rosen, and then I think Embiid could be worth using, but there are other guys to pay up for. Uh, not a ton of other guys to pay up for, which is why I might look in that direction. 
for just this early slate, uh, we're only looking at five games and there aren't that many expensive players and none of them are really in good matchups. So there's a lot of upside in Embiid. I think, I think he's worth considering, but I don't really like Ben Simmons at 8,400. I think it would be Covington first, maybe DeRozan, and then maybe Joel Embiid. Uh, so the next game here is the Bucks at the Wizards. I'm kind of surprised that this total is set all the way to 14.5 because that's pretty high. And if you look at pace, the Bucks played the 24th fastest pace in the league, and the Wizards played the 13th fastest pace. So this should not be a very up-tempo game. The Bucks don't have a great defense, but the Wizards are one of the better defenses in the Eastern Conference. I think overall they are what they're eighth in the league in defensive efficiency. So 214.5 feels a little bit too high for me. And then looking at some of the price of the players, we have uh, Bledsoe's in a tough matchup, Middleton's in a tough matchup, Giannis at 10,200. I mean, I guess that's fair to pay up for him. I would consider using Giannis, um, Brogdon at 5,400 now. And then if you go to the Wizards side of the game, uh, John Wall has been priced up to 9,700 now. Bradley Biolo up to 8,200. I think Otto Porter at 6,000 is a little cheap for him, except there's a good chance he gets guarded by Giannis, so that's a tough matchup. I, I don't really think that there's favorable pricing on any of these players. Yeah, I guess the one thing that could make the total, uh, I guess, a fair number is if both teams just play small ball because of the matchup. But I'm not really sure what about this combination of teams would make them want to play small ball. Just trying to kind of guess why the total would be this high. Because I do agree with you, it seems a little bit high. Um, And yeah, if if there's more points perceived than we're actually expecting to be scored, then it probably makes sense that we're not going to like too many of the players either. And I don't know, if Porter isn't guarded by Giannis, I guess we won't know that. We kind of just have to assume who will be guarding him. But Porter's price is probably a little too low. Um, I think you could make the case to pay up for Giannis. He should be low-owned because he just hasn't been very good over the last handful of games. Um, He was really bad against the Warriors, but that was a brutal matchup against Kevin Durant. Uh, He was bad on Sunday against the Heat, but that was sort of a blowout, and the Heat are a tough matchup on the road. Um, Giannis has had four games in a row with under 40 fantasy points, Um, but his field goal shooting is fine. He just he hasn't racked up a lot of assists. Uh, his re- he hasn't had a big rebounding game in a while. He was having a lot more big rebounding games in December, so it might just be a little bit fluky. Um, I think Giannis also um, his usage is down since Bledsoe got there. Yeah, that does seem to be the case. Giannis had a couple of games. He had a stretch of games actually in late November, early December, where his usage was in the 30s, and he even had a couple of games in the 40s and he rarely tops that 30 number anymore. So I guess that is a concern. But his price has dropped a bit, too. He's a lot cheaper than he was before uh, the Bucks traded for Bledsoe. Yeah, I'd just say that I think that it's whatever. I think he's. I, I don't have an issue with rostering at 10200 but I don't think he's a great play at that price either. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a great play at the price, but I think I would roster him just because there aren't really expensive players to pay up for on this early slate. I mean, you could just build balanced lineups, but... I don't know, I guess DeRozan's the guy if Lowry's out. But if Lowry's in, then you're kind of just talking about Embiid or Giannis to pay up for. I guess you could go John Wall, but I think I I definitely prefer Giannis over John Wall for this game. Okay, next game here is the Knicks at the Nets. So from the Knicks side of the game, Tim Hardaway Jr., this is a tail end of a back-to-back. They've been cautious with his minutes, bringing him back from that stress 
reaction his leg. I believe he played 32 minutes in an overtime game today. So I'd be really surprised if he plays tomorrow. I think he's probably going to sit. Which, if he sits, uh, I think that Courtney Lee is a fine play at 4,800. I think Porzingis, I'd be wary of using him in cash games on the tail end of a back-to-back, especially because of the fatigue issues he's been concerning. He's been complaining about, but still, 8,300 against the Nets. I think that would make him a fine GPP play. Uh, Jarrett Jack has been playing a lot more minutes recently, so I think that he's fine to play at 5,000. If you look at his last few games, 40 minutes, 34 minutes, 37 minutes. There was overtime games involved there, but that's still, they're letting Jack play a lot of minutes. Still, even without overtime, it's around 30 minutes per game for him. So I think that he is a fine play at his price. Uh, Canner also is another one. I wouldn't use Canner in a cash game, but for GPP, there's upside against the Nets, who are just really bad at guarding bigs. And Ennis Canner is somebody who has a lot of big games and then also has a lot of duds, which is a lot of it is due to his minutes are really inconsistent. And it's very difficult to predict when his minutes are going to be. When is he going to play 30 minutes? When is he only play like 19 minutes? But still, I think it's worth looking at him in GPPs. From the net side of the game, my favorite play is Karis Levert. So Levert is priced at, what is it now, 5300 um, Yeah, 5300 And Levert did have a couple of down games when he was coming back from that groin injury where his minutes were a little down. We saw him play 26 minutes, 27 minutes, 21 minutes. But in last game, it was an overtime game. We got up to 35 minutes. Even without the overtime, he's still playing 30 minutes. If you look at his production prior to the injury, where he was playing high 20s, low 30s minutes, which is what he should be now going forward, 35, 38, 37, 39 fantasy points. And then even before that, like he had a stretch of uh, probably like 12 of like 15 games or something like that, where he scored like at least 25 fantasy points. So I think he's a pretty good target at uh, 5,300. This game's a little bit weird for a Nets game where there's actually more minutes uh, insecurity or I guess more guesswork for the other team. We actually seem to kind of know what the Nets rotation looks like. Uh, Maybe I'll regret saying that when they just play everybody 24 minutes like they're sometimes prone to do. But yeah, I think Levert and Dinwiddie and Hollis Jefferson should all play regular minutes. And I agree with you. Levert's probably the best guy to use from that team. I think he's a pretty strong play. And his minutes were a lot higher uh, before the injury and kind of seemed to be trending back up. So I like Levert. But from the Knicks, um, if Tim Hardaway is out, I think Michael Beasley can end up with some extra run, uh, partly because he just plays more minutes anyway when Hardaway isn't there. Uh, His minutes dropped to, I think it was nine minutes on Sunday with Hardaway in the lineup. But in in this game where Porzingis and Kander, both who have had injury problems. I guess Porzingis is kind of just the fatigue issue, but Canner's had the back injury and his minutes have been limited in some games. Beasley might just play more because of that. Um, and he would have a decent minutes floor with Hardaway out anyway. So if we're looking at 30 to 35 minutes from Beasley, which could be aggressive, but that would be pretty good potential production for him, even at 5,800. And I think he'd be pretty low owned too, because he's coming off a game where he only played nine minutes. Um, so we'll definitely have to look for Hardaway to be out because if Hardaway's in, there's no chance that Beasley makes any sense to use. But with Hardaway not there, there's extra usage to go around, and I think it could be a game where you see a lot of um, lesser-used Knicks, guy, Knicks guys getting more minutes than they've been getting recently. Um, and Beasley has had some huge games over the last couple of weeks, so I'm not too concerned about the price tag, um, especially if we're thinking that Porzingis and Kander might be getting less minutes uh, after that overtime game. 
Yeah, it's just for me, it's hard to get behind Beasley at 5,800 because even though he did have those big games, he was doing it in like 22 minutes per game. So I just think it was so fluky. Like there was games, uh, like what was it, the game against the Spurs where he, or no, it was against the Celtics where he made like 80% of his field goal attempts. Like there was just some, what I consider just be really fluky games, even though I do think that there's probably merit in saying that Beasley has been one of the better bench players in the league this year. Well, I don't think 22 minutes per game is the right number if you're drawing the line at, uh, I guess, that Spurs game where he got his first really uh, high minutes game. I guess there were a couple before that, but in the, let's call it, seven games leading up to Hardaway's return, Beasley was averaging, I guess, 25 or so minutes. Maybe it's 27 minutes, just adding it up quickly. Um, and there have been games where he's played over 30 minutes, even in regulation. So he played 39 minutes against the Bulls in double there was overtime. There also games where he played under 15 with, without Hardaway, though. Um, he hasn't played under 15 without Hardaway since uh, right around Christmas. So there's definitely a low floor, I guess, where he only plays 15 minutes and just doesn't produce. But even if we're saying it's 25 minutes, I mean, 30 to 35 fantasy points wouldn't be that unreasonable if he's playing with the second unit. Um, and I think there is a chance that he could get extra minutes, where if he plays 30 minutes or so, then you're looking at some pretty massive production. Uh, I definitely like Jarrett Jack and Courtney Lee better, but I think Beasley could be a low-owned, high-upside pick if you're looking for someone in that direction for tournaments. All right, we're going to agree to disagree on Sir Michael Beasley. Uh, next game here is the Spurs at the Hawks. I know the spread is only seven and a half points for this game, but with the Spurs now having everybody healthy, Danny Green's back, Kawhi Leonard is playing relatively unrestricted. I, I, I think that that spread is a little bit too low. The Hawks have been really bad this year. Well, before and you this, get into the uh, the players, I'll just comment on that. The spread actually opened at eight and a half, and with the public on the Spurs, it's dropped to seven and a half. So whatever you think about that number it's clear that the sharp money is certainly on the Hawks. Like, 100%, that's why the line is dropping. The public is on the Spurs. All of the big bets are on the Hawks. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really know the reason, but I just think it's worth noting that the wise guys in Vegas are on the Atlanta side of that point spread. Well, I guess I'll just take the uh, from the other side that the Hawks are probably the worst team in the league, and the Spurs are probably the second best team in the league. Like, I still think that there's some blowout risk here. Yeah, and I do too. I guess even if it's even if there's a sixty percent chance that the Hawks cover that seven and a half point spread, there's still a reasonable likelihood that they lose by more than twenty points or something. Like I, I won't say that the Hawks have no chance of getting blown out, but I do think that blowout risk could at least be slightly overstated. Uh, there definitely is some though. It's just it's hard for me to get with that blowout risk and the prices on the Spurs now. Kawhi Leonard is up to eighty eight hundred. Aldridge at 8,100, less usage for him with Kawhi active. And then there's also the thing that if the Spurs have even a decent lead in the fourth quarter, Pop just takes the starters out. He's not running a team like Thibodeau where it's a 26-point game in the fourth quarter and the starters come out. Like if the if the Spurs are up like 15 going into the fourth quarter, there's a reasonable chance that the starters never play the rest of the game. So uh, I'll say that if I had to roster somebody from the Spurs, it would be Kawhi, except I don't really think any of them are particularly great plays at their price tags. And then from the Hawks' side of the game, I have similar issues with them playing the Spurs where there is blow risk, and then it's also... The prices aren't particularly cheap. And like Schroeder, we've seen Schroeder under 7,000 recently. He's now at 7,000 in a tough matchup against the Spurs with blowout risk. So there's 
nobody I really want to roster from Atlanta either. I think the one guy to maybe roster from Atlanta is Torian Prince. Um, he could still score well in a tough matchup. He gets stats on defense. He gets rebounding stats. Uh, so it doesn't really require a lot of actual points scored for him to have a good fantasy game. So I think he's a little more matchup proof than someone like Schroeder, who is more dependent on points being scored. He basically gets all of his value from points and assists and I guess a little bit of steals. But without a game where the Hawks score well, Schroeder is probably not going to do well at all. But Torian Prince still could do fairly well. Um, so I don't I don't think I'll be too high on Prince, but if you have to roster someone from this game, I think he's my favorite guy to use because, yeah, uh, I I think with the – even though I think the game will be closer than most people think, the issue with the Spurs is definitely their pricing. So I'm, I'm off the Spurs. I don't even think there's anyone you can really consider. I mean, Kawhi Leonard could have a big game, but I don't really like the spot, and he's just priced up a lot. So I don't know. Maybe have a little bit of his exposure to Torian Prince, but – there's probably not much else to look at. Okay, next game we have here is the Heat at the Bulls, and this is the last game of the early slate. So I do think that there is a reasonable value play here on the Heat, and that is uh, James Johnson at 5,200. He started in place of Kelly Olynyk today. He only ended up playing 25 minutes, but a lot of that was foul trouble. He picked up five fouls today. So James Johnson, I think at 5,200 is a good play, assuming he starts again. Because if you look at his price earlier in the year when he was starting, he got up to 6,600. So I think there's value on him and his price tag. And then Tyler Johnson, 5,000. Uh, he's also been starting, and he was at he got up to 6,000 last week. That was when uh, Drogic was out. But now we have Waiters out, and he's starting. So I think that there's value in Tyler Johnson. At 5000 from the Bulls. Let's see, what is the pricing on the Bulls? The Bulls are a little tricky now because Zach Levine is back, which really spreads out the minutes and production a bit more in the starting lineup. Denzel Valentine's moved to a bench role now, so that minimizes him a little bit. We don't really know exactly what the workload's going to be for Levine. I think the expectation is somewhere around 20 to 25 minutes. And I think right now they have him playing where he's just he's going to sit the fourth quarters. He's not going to play in the fourth. Uh, Chris Dunn, I still think is in play at 7,100. And then just because there's so few guys to pick from the slate, I think Morgan and Miritich are fine targets for GPP. But once again, I'm not really, I don't feel great about minute security for either of them now that we have done Morgan and Portis all healthy at the same time. So I'll just mention uh, before weighing in on the Bulls guys specifically, if Tim Hardaway is out. I think Michael Beasley is a better upside play in the same price range than Markinen and Miritich because the Bulls do have a pretty crowded front court right now. So I don't think you can be that confident in minutes for anyone. Uh, Miritich only played, I think it was 22 minutes in his last game. Uh, but I definitely agree with you on the Heat side. I won't add much there because I like the same two guys you're talking about, Tyler Johnson and uh, and James Johnson, both strong plays. But the Bulls, the Bulls are tough. So I don't really think I'm comfortable rostering really anyone from there, but maybe Chris, Chris Dunn just because of how good he's been, even though it's kind of just a fair price. Yeah, I mean, he's been scoring, I think, right around 40 fantasy points per game, maybe a little bit under over the last like month and a half or so. So I still think even in a tough matchup, I'm fine with rostering Chris Dunn 7,100. Also, the floor for Dunn's been really high recently, even in tough matchups. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Dunn compared to Goran Dragic. Uh, I think that's a tough call. I think you could make the case for either of them at basically the same price. 
Um, I don't know. With Johnson there, but with Dion Waiters out for the season now, Drogic does have a higher usage rate, but maybe Dunn's is, or Dunn's production and minutes are just higher generally. So I don't know. I think you can roster both of those guys. And if you're game stacking here, even though it shouldn't be the highest scoring game, I think there is enough value where you could probably use a couple guys from each team. Uh, so before we move on, I think you're going to agree with me on this point. Uh, for the early slate, what's your favorite one to stack? Mine's Nick's Nets. Yeah, I think so too, and especially if Hardaway's out, then there's just fewer players to choose from and more minutes going around to the rest of the Knicks guys. So I think that would be the best game to stack, but I think you could also make the case for the um, for the Bulls-Heat game because there are a few guys, especially from the Heat side, that are worth considering. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're both uh, going to be the highest on the Knicks-Nets game from the early slate. Okay, late, uh, late slate, we've got four games here. Uh, the first game on the docket here should be a really fun one to watch. We have the Golden State Warriors at the Cleveland Cavaliers. But if you want to know how good the Warriors are, the Warriors are five-point favorites in Cleveland. The Spurs are seven-and-a-half-point favorites in Atlanta. So that is how much better the Warriors are than pretty much every team in the league. Because the Spurs are probably the second-best team, with maybe the Cavs being like the third or fourth-best team. Warriors, the best team, and the Hawks, probably the worst team, and still about the same spread for both those games. So there should be a lot of points scored here. Just the question is, where's the production to come from the Warriors? There's definitely some upside in Steph Curry, 10200 but I do think the price is a little bit too high. I think the pricing is more favorable on Durant, Green, and Thompson. Those would be my preferred guys to roster. From the Cavs side of the game, I'm sure that LeBron's going to be popular in this. Matt and I talked about this before, and I think both of us are pretty on board with fading LeBron at this price tag against Durant. There are very few players in the league that could reasonably guard LeBron, but the combination of Kevin Durant and Draymond Green is guys who are capable of handling LeBron and can limit his production. The other thing also is the Warriors' defense, third in the league in defensive efficiency, they're a very good defense. They're better than most people realize. They they allow one of the least amount of fantasy points to the league to small forwards. I don't have the exact number from me, but I believe they're in the bottom 10 in terms of points allowed to the position. So it's really not that good of a spot for the Cavs because they have a tough matchup and everybody's still really priced up kind of because of the name value of the game. Yeah, it's. Um, I think there's definitely a case to be made for fading the game, maybe not entirely, but close to entirely in tournaments because... With two teams like this playing each other, ownership is going to be high. Um, I think most people just gravitate towards using Warriors and Cavs players. They they were pretty high-owned on Christmas. It was kind of the same situation. And there are some perceived blowouts in the later games. There are some injury situations that we won't have the news on yet for the later games. Uh, we may not know a couple things before lock. So it's kind of just safer to go with the Warriors-Cavs game, but... There could be a lot more upside in using other players. So if we have to pick, I mean, yeah, I think I'll agree that LeBron is someone I don't have much interest in, even though I do think that the Warriors are pretty overvalued in this spot. The Cavs have lost three games in a row now, and they, they basically never cover point spreads anymore. So I don't know. The Cavs are undervalued as a team, but the individual matchup for LeBron against Durant is a bad one. Um, I'm a little unsure of what Kevin Love's ownership will look like because he was really good against the Warriors the last time these teams played on Christmas. I think he had 60 fantasy points. Um, so maybe he's the guy if... 
I don't know, if Kevin Love's playing center and let's say Zaza or, I don't know, whatever warrior center happens to be in the game, uh, like Kevin Looney or JaVel McGee, um, I guess that would be a really strong matchup. But it also could be Draymond Green guarding him, so not as strong of a matchup. But I think Kevin Love warrants some consideration as a pivot off LeBron if you're using a player from this game. And then also maybe Isaiah Thomas if his minutes are a little less limited. Um, what do you think the Thomas minute situation will look like? Because if he's playing 30 plus, he's a really strong play, but I, I don't know that we can expect that from him. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm going to guess that he plays somewhere around 20 to 25. He hasn't played a ton of minutes yet and they're still resting on back to back. So they're going to be careful with his minutes for a little while, but I do agree with you. If we find out that they're going to allow him to play more minutes and there's a lot of upside in him at that current price. And then something else that I didn't mention this podcast, but I have mentioned in other articles and stuff before is Isaiah Thomas is a usage rating over 30% with the Cavs so far this year. So the reason that's significant for LeBron's production is just there's a lot less touches for LeBron when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor because he's a ball-dominant player. Right, so the more you like Isaiah Thomas, the less you have to like LeBron for fantasy purposes. Um, I'll say I think there are four players from this game that I'm strongly considering. Um, And I'll mention that Isaiah Thomas did play 25 minutes in his last game before resting. Uh, So he played 25 minutes in Toronto in a blowout loss and then rested against the Pacers. So maybe even um, just if there was a game that they're going to say, like, oh, we're going to we're allowing him to play a couple extra minutes. It would be the Warriors game just probably to see, like, how he matches up, because that is the kind of like destined finals matchup. Right. I think that is true. And then I also think he might have played more than 25 minutes against Toronto if the game were closer. So it seems like the Cavs aren't really saying what they're doing with Thomas's minutes. Um, but I don't know, is it safe to assume he would have played 27, 28 minutes in that Raptors game if they weren't down by so much? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's possible. I know that's, I know it's not really a, <laughs> a, a lot of clarity or like a strong answer. I'll say maybe. Yeah. I think it's possible is enough to say that it's possible. So I don't know for, for tournament it's, upside, it's it might have. No. And yeah, for the, for the tournaments, it, it does indicate there's some upside there. Yeah, better than definitely not. So I think Thomas and Kevin Love uh, probably lean towards Thomas from the Cavs side. And I think Clay Thompson and Draymond Green are the two guys to target from Golden State. Uh, so the next game we have here is the Sacramento Kings at the Oklahoma City Thunder. I do not like the Kings side of this game at all. It's a really tough matchup. And this is another one, 11.5 point favorites the Thunder. There is a decent amount of blowout risk here. From the Thunder side of the game, it is tough to roster any of these guys in a cash game. However, there is a lot of upside just because the Kings are bad on defense. I think Russell Westbrook makes sense to pay up for at 11500 I think Paul George is fine at 7400 Nobody else do I really want to roster, though. Well, this should be the lowest-owned um, stack spot of the night because it's hard to fit in the Thunder. Well, they have expensive players. Steven Adams is kind of pricey, and then Paul George and... Obviously, Westbrook are pricey. I guess Carmelo isn't very expensive anymore. He's actually cheaper than Steven Adams. I don't know if that's been the case at all this year. But if you can guess right which Kings players play, and I guess you also have to guess right that the game stays close if you're stacking. Um, but if you can guess which Kings guys are the ones that are in, then there's a lot of tournament upside. I think Darren Fox is kind of a safe bet to be the key piece of a game that stays close. Um, but between like Labissier and Cauley Stein... Um, maybe Zach Randolph, but I think more. I would more lean on the first two guys. It, it's kind of tough to know where the minutes will go, 
But I do think there is some upside in rostering Westbrook and Paul George and Steven Adams with Darren Fox and one of either Colley Stein or Labissier. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if I had to rush one of the Kings, probably Scout would make the most sense for a potential blowout just because I think that he's actually a good player and he should be able to do well against the Thunder's backups. Obviously, against the backups, he would have an easier matchup than against the starters. So Scout's a GPP play, I guess, does make some sense there. Next game is the Pacers at Utah. Still a lot of fair pricing for the Pacers. Miles Turner is not expected to play. So I think Thaddeus Young, Demonis Sabonis, Victor Oladipo are all fair plays, but nobody who I'd say like must play type of player. Then from the Utah side of the game, let's see. Derek Favors at 6,000. I think that he's a decent play. Uh, Rodney Hood and Joe Ingles. Uh, let's see, Rodney Hood recently. Rodney Hood has gotten injured or thrown out of the last two games. Uh, he, yeah, I guess that's always a concern for him, but the minutes, the 26 and 15 minutes from the previous two games are not representative of what he usually plays. He should be 30-plus if he stays in for the whole game. Yeah, I'll say Rodney Hood, fine for GPPs. Don't roster him in cash games. He manages to find ways to not finish games all the time. <laughs> Uh, and then Donovan Mitchell, I think, is also fine at 7,100. It is a decent matchup for him, and this is the tail end of a back-to-back for the Pacers. Do you have anything else to add there? I think this is actually a pretty decent stack spot. Yeah, I think so too, especially for Utah, because there's got to be some boost to Derek Favors without Miles Turner playing. Um, the Pacers did crush the Suns on Sunday night, but that's the Suns, and I don't think it says too much about the Pacers' quality as a team to beat such a terrible group of basketball players. I still think it's a it's a much worse Pacers team without Miles Turner, especially at the rim. So it should help Favors a lot, but it, it helps the Jazz as a whole. So uh, Rodney Hood also, 4,800 is the cheapest that he's been all season. So while there's risk there, I think he makes for a really strong GPP play. I think him and Favors actually are two of my favorite players um, from this late slate and probably for the day overall. But if you're stacking, I guess... Yeah, Oladipo and Sabonis, and they're just kind of fair-priced, so if you want to stack the game, throw them in. But I think um, Favors and Hood are guys that I would have in a lot of lineups, regardless of if it's in a stack or not. So the final game on the slate here is the Houston Rockets at the LA Clippers. DeAndre Jordan's question play with a sprained ankle. The Clippers have been awful at updating injuries all year, so it seems unlikely to me that we're going to know prior to lock whether he's in or not. If he isn't able to play... It's a pretty good boost for the Houston offense, which is already really good. I think Chris Paul is a good play. Eric Gordon's a good play. Clint Capella probably benefits the most of any Rockets player if DeAndre Jordan's out because they're one of the better teams in the league at defending centers, and that would just not be the case without Jordan. Trevor Reese is a fine play at 5,000. From the Clippers' side of the game, let's see. If DeAndre Jordan is out, it's kind of hard to figure out well, we've talked about the DeAndre Jordan rebounding stat when Blake Griffin doesn't play. If that's the case, and we don't have the sample for it yet this year because Griffin's the one who's been out, but if Jordan rebounds more when Griffin doesn't play, then Blake Griffin would have to rebound more when DeAndre Jordan doesn't play, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out, I guess either Montrez Harrell or Willie Reed would end up starting at center. If my memory serves correct, I believe it was Willie Reed who checked in for Jordan right after he got hurt and ended up playing most of the minutes. So let's see, last game, Harrell played 22 minutes, Willie Reed played 26 minutes. 
So I think Willie Reed would be a really strong value play at 4,300 if DeAndre Jordan isn't able to play. There would be a boost for Blake Griffin. Lou Williams, the price has gotten a little out of hand at 8,900. But still, I think that any of those three big men, Griffin, Reed, and Harrell, all of them would be for would all make for decent plays if Jordan doesn't play. And Blake Griffin, I think, is a fine play anyway. So I mentioned before we started that I wasn't sure about Lou Williams because I thought Chris Paul might be guarding him. But with Tia Dosage back, Lou Williams isn't starting anymore. So he wouldn't really draw much of Chris Paul because he's playing a lot of second unit time where Chris Paul isn't on the court. Uh, it's a little bit of a concern for Williams because I think whenever he's out there against Chris Paul, Paul would be the one to guard him because Lou Williams is clearly the best scoring guard that the Clippers have and probably the best scoring player that the Clippers have. So it would make sense for Chris Paul to be on him. Uh, maybe you want to play into the uh, revenge against the Rockets narrative for Lou Williams. I don't know. But I, I'm semi-concerned that Chris Paul will be on him, but also I think he will stay away from him with those second unit minutes. So I view him as kind of an okay play. Uh, but the game does get more stackable if DeAndre Jordan's out. So if we somehow know that before lock, then a lot of guys on the Clippers are getting a boost for more minutes or for more usage or for Blake Griffin, it's more rebounds. And then the Rockets get a boost because they're facing worse interior defense at the rim. Um, So hopefully we know that before lock. But if we don't, I think there's still a lot of value in playing Blake Griffin because he's kind of just fair priced anyway. And if Jordan does happen to be out, then there's a lot more value in his price tag. But it's not like he's a bad play if DeAndre Jordan is active. So I think he's the guy from the Clippers to just use regardless. And then just, if you're using a lot of Griffin, just hope that DeAndre doesn't play. And then for the late game, uh, I think both Houston, LA, and Indiana, and Utah are both pretty stackable games. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't know if stacking is the route I'll go for this slate unless we know that DeAndre Jordan's out. Um, If we know that, then I think that last game is the best stack spot. But the issue for me with Houston, I mean, uh, with Indiana versus Utah is that I don't think there's a lot of value in the Indiana price tags. So I think I'd want to have just exposure to kind of all the games and lean a little heavier on the Jazz and not use too much of the Pacers. But I guess I'll say if we have to pick a game to stack, then it's the Clippers game if DeAndre Jordan's out and it's the Jazz game if DeAndre Jordan's in. Yeah, I definitely think if DeAndre Jordan doesn't play, Houston, L.A. is a really strong stack spot. Uh, I still think that I would make some stacks of Indiana, Utah, and then who knows how this how this slate will shape out. Hopefully we get some injuries that pop up tomorrow morning to create a little bit more value. Uh, so that is it for today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, G. Ehrenberg DFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. Let's see. For Tuesday, uh, what do we have? Four games, so... I think we'll do one for that slate. Uh, At the very least, I'll do one by myself again, but we'll probably have a podcast for that day. Uh, We will be back.